welcome to this week's episode of the Compass Equip Podcast. I'm Pastor Evan, and I'm joined with Pastor Hayden. And at Compass Bible Church, we exist to make disciples. Oh, now he wants to chime in. No, I'm here. I'm He's here. here. We exist to make disciples of Jesus Christ by reaching people for Christ, teaching people to be like Christ, and training people to serve Christ. And everything that, everything that we do here at Compass, from the podcast to the sermons to kids ministry, women's ministry, and everything in between, is to fulfill that mission of reaching, teaching, and training. All right. Pastor Hayden, a man of few words, you just preached a sermon of many words on a new series called People in Promises. When we actually opened the book of Matthew last week, we had a, uh, a great time doing an introduction to the book of Matthew. And if you missed that sermon, we highly encourage you to re-listen to that so that it can give you context as we go into, to be honest, Compass Bible Church several years in the Gospel of Matthew in all 28 chapters. So let me read to you the first two verses that we dove into this morning in Matthew chapter 1 beginning in verse 1. The book of the genealogy of Jesus, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers. All right, well, Pastor Hayden, your main focus of your sermon, based on just a genealogy, was this, that seeing God fulfill his promises through the lives of real people should give us unwavering confidence in God's plan for you and the whole world. And that the Bible is one continuous account of God's promises throughout history and not a, not a collection of independent stories. Do you want to elaborate a little bit more on that as you just preached it, but maybe adding a little bit to that for this podcast as we prepare to go to our life groups this week? I think one of the large concerns that we have uh, as pastors is that uh, people seem to lack great trust in God, and uh, sometimes I wonder and believe that it is perhaps because of this thought that people don't look at the Bible as a continuous account of God's promises throughout history. We see them as random accounts of God showing up and doing things, but who knows if God's going to do that for me? I don't know. I don't know how I can trust God to do that. But that's maybe a, an effect of the way that we've been taught the Word of God, and it's an improper way, although I'm sure we are all guilty of doing this uh, in our own church, and our own ministry at times, but it's important and it's pertinent that we teach the Bible as one continuous account of God's promises throughout history, because when you do that and you're sitting in the promises of God, like, I know I'm a child of Abraham, you're a child of Abraham. We don't usually say it that way, although you could and you should because it's, it is a, uh, it's a biblical promise. Uh, when you understand that, then you're connected to the biblical promises that we see throughout the Old Testament. And then you can sit confident saying, man, I'm not just some random person that God had worked in at one point in time. Like, I am a, I'm a people of the promise. And so your life makes so much more sense and you have so much more confidence uh, and trust in God when you see that uh, God, God's story in Scripture is a one is a point A to point B story, and it's telling us the story of how God has dealt with his people throughout history. Well, you started the sermon, uh, even though Matthew's genealogy began with Abraham. You didn't start there because even with Matthew saying Abraham, saying that name meant something to them, just like you said mm -hmm. last week with Michael Jordan, we get the context. 
undefeated in six NBA championships, so on and so forth. You threw out some dates in the sermon, you know, mm-hmm. 1945, 9-11, We know the context. So when Matthew tells a Jewish audience of Abraham, they go, I understand who that is and what the promise was to him. But you went back further because we need another context. So uh, what is that and, and why did we go back so far? We just need to see, again, it's that line of God's promise. It didn't start at Abraham, where so many of us begin our thoughts of God's promises at Abraham. The promise extended far back to Genesis 3, when uh, God had promised that there would be a seed of the woman who would come and crush the head of the serpent. And uh, although that the, the seed of woman's heel would be bruised, uh, the wound that the serpent would receive would be uh, deadly, and the wound that the the seed would uh, w- would sustain would be temporary. And we see that as a promise of saying sin came into the world uh, through the deception of Satan, the serpent. And there will be a day when his head will be crushed and the seed of woman would prevail. And so that right there is uh, the Proto-Evangelium, right? That's the first gospel, and that's what theologians call those those two texts. And for you and I, it's to understand that's where Jesus truly is first brought up uh, in Genesis as a promised seed of woman who will come, which I love, seed of woman, and Jesus came through the virgin birth, the seed of the woman. Didn't come from seed of man, right? He came from the seed of the woman, which, boom, come on. I mean, that's some cool stuff. Don't get me started. Okay, I won't get you started. But anyway, and then you see uh, that seed coming, not an Abel, which everyone thought it was going to happen. He got murdered. Uh, and oops. then <laughs> Oops. It's a big oops. If you're reading the Bible, you'd be like, oh no, where is the seed coming from? And then God gave them another son named Seth, and it's from Seth to whom that line of promise is is tracked to Abram. It's, come on, this is cool stuff. And I've got going. I'm sorry. I can't hold back anymore. Oh, for it. And so we see this conflict through the whole Bible between the seed and the serpent. Yes. And right away, Cain followed the, tem- the, followed the temptation and followed the serpent. Seed, seed of the serpent. And yep. tried to take out the seed mm-hmm. that God has promised. But God's like, just kidding. It's out of Seth. Mm-hmm. Nice try, Satan. And right. over the biblical narrative in the Old Testament, you're going to see the serpent trying to take out the seed over and over and over. And as we culminate in soon in Matthew, Herod represents the serpent trying to yep. take out the seed. So, And Herod was a uh, Edomite. Edomite. Edomite, which go back Esau. to Esau. Come on, oh, man. Come on. You should love the word of God because the promise and, and the, the line of thought is so tightly woven that this is not accidental. This is the whole storyline of Scripture. It's all connected. All and it's connected. a beautiful tapestry. Then yeah. this is why it's so important to be in our Bible's compass and paying mm. attention because we don't want you to miss out on the worship of God as he displays such a wonderful tapestry to us and to draw us to him in just deep devotional worship. So as we study this, this leads right into your first point, let God's promises bolster our faith. Mm. So you kind of you explain this in the sermon. I don't want to really reiterate what you, the context of your sermon, but I want to ask, what can we do practically as people here and now in, in New Braunfels, Texas in 2022 to let God's promises bolster our faith here and now? Did you look at your watch to see what year it was? I did. <laughs> uh, easy, easy way. Uh, even my wife and I were talking about this last night. Trust that God's plan is better than your plan. I mean, mm. that is the that is the single most important thing that you can do is not try to enact some type of 
conversation between you and God where you try to get God to make you these promises and try to, and which you can't, but the point is like we want God so much to enact our promises and come to this like agreement with you and I instead of us stepping into God's timeless promises. Like you realize that we get the privilege to step in, to step into the God's covenant promise for his covenant people. And we get to step into that. Why do I want to create some kind of lesser plan for me when God has a great redemptive plan for all people? And I get to be a part of that. It's like our minds are so myopic to think that we are just, it's about us when it's like, come on, we're a part of it, but it's about God's plan. And you and I are served so much better by stepping into that plan than trying to somehow come up with a plan that's better than God's plan. And then how can we encourage our uh, fellow brothers and sisters within Compass to live out this this faith, to have it be bolstered by God's promises? I mean, you just need to be doing what God's promises say. Like when we read scripture and it tells us, here's what God's plan is. And we read the gospels, it talks about uh, the, the coming of the kingdom and how we get to be kingdom people and that we get to propagate a kingdom promise. And it's like, I, and I get it. Like it's, this may be hard when you're listening to this to say, my life doesn't look like that. And, and I get it. And that's why you conform your life to the kingdom promises of God in, in the Gospels, because if you don't, yeah, your life, you are going to want these different kinds of promises because your life doesn't look like the promises that God has already set in place. And that's why the, the Bible makes it so clear that we must deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow him. Our, our life shouldn't look like what, what we are trying to conjure up and create on our own. It should look like what God's plan is already doing. And he's actually going to be re-talking about this in the months to come in Matthew chapter 6 because you have two examples of bad prayer life. It's saying, hey, don't pray like the Gentiles because they're just trying to manipulate God with their many words. Mm-hmm. Instead, pray like this. God, I step into your will. Right. I want to follow your will. Your will be done. Instead of my will. On earth as it is in heaven. And so he's even applying the yeah. gospel of Matthew. That's right. All right. And I do want to ask Pastor Hayden, as the promise to Abraham was to bless the nations. And I want, to want us to always remember this fact. How does Jesus fulfill that? Well, he is the blessings to all nations. It's no longer the promise to uh, the Jews, it's the promise also to the Gentiles. It's now not just the Jewish faith, it's a Gentile faith. And uh, now all nations, and even when you read the promises in Revelation, and, and behold, there was the throne, and before the throne of God, there were people from every tribe, every tongue, and every nation. Like, come on, ba-boom, there's your pinnacle. That's what, that's the that's the, literally the culmination, the top of the peak, the Mount Everest of the Abrahamic covenant, that all nations will be present at the throne of God when when the time comes. All right. Well, then this leads us to your second point as uh, we talk, we move from Abraham to Isaac to allow God's promises to produce patience. And uh, can you yeah, reiterate a little bit of some points that you would um, love to dive in deeper as, again, we prepare for life groups this week? Yeah, I know uh, Hebrews paints a really good picture of Abraham in, in this. And I, so I am not one to counter how the Bible portrays Abraham. All I want to do is also point out the fact that Abraham was also an impatient uh, person when it came to the promises of God, uh, and he begat Ishmael from Hagar, and that has created so much conflict, not even in Scripture, where Joseph uh, where Joseph was sold into slavery to the Ishmaelites, right, the, the descendants of Ishmael, who was uh, Hagar's offspring from Abraham, because Abraham didn't trust God's way of doing things, and how even today, uh, you know, uh, the Arabs, Islam, comes from Ishmael. They 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 believe in Father Abraham just like we do, but their line is from 
Ishmael. So, I mean, just to think about that, how even throughout history, Abraham's disobedience has caused an even longer line of conflict between different nations. And part of God's promise to uh, Hagar and Ishmael was that he would become a great nation. And you can even see how that through the, the line of Ishmael that that uh, that nation did become very great. And there's still conflict among uh Israel and uh, the Arab nation even today. Uh, I mean, that's just to give you a little bit of saying, hey, man, the promises and the effects of what we see in Scripture didn't end. Like, it's still going on even here in today. Uh, And so allow God's promises to produce patience. We create more problems for ourselves when we try to hurry God's promises instead of allowing God to fulfill his promises in his time. And he's not slow to fulfill his promises, as some count slowness, 2 Peter 3, 9, uh, but he's patient. And he's not wishing that anyone should perish, but that all should reach repentance. All of God's timeline is in light of redemptive history. And that's important for you and me because so much of our timelines are dependent on our own desire and our own flesh. And if you are looking for God to fulfill things according to your flesh, you're going to be sorely mistaken and you're going to have a hard time walking through life when we understand that God's working all things out for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. And so if you want the promises of God enacting in your life, you've got to be walking according to his purposes, walking in his will uh, and, and not our own. And so you got to be patient. And so how then, as I was taking notes from your sermon, saying, you know, Abraham's patience uh, towards God was tested through Isaac. How was that tested? How is Abraham's patience with God now properly placed? He tried to be impatient Mm -hmm. with uh, Ishmael, but then he had Isaac. But then God says, hey, offer your son to me. How is Mm -hmm. that demonstrating Abraham's patience towards God's plan? Well, it was was this idea that, the fact of that, not idea, even the fact that uh, God had promised Isaac to Abraham and God, in a sense, asked for him back. And Abraham said, God, you gave him to me the first time. You promised him the first time. I know that even if he dies right here, that you will bring him back, which is alluded to in the fact that he says, I'm going to go worship with Isaac over here and we will be back. I mean, Abraham knew Isaac is coming back some way, somehow, and he just trusted and believed that God was going to provide a substitute. substitute. And that is also expressed in Hebrews eleven seventeen By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, who had received the promises, was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. So God's saying, it's through Isaac. Mm-hmm. He considered that God was able to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back because there was a substitute. substitute. And so even God will test our patience. So speaking of that, how can we be patient in God's plan as we live in the here and now? Yeah, and I talked about the patience in light of uh, Isaac, the, the person of Isaac, the anticlimactic promised son that we kind of talked about. And it's just understanding that there are periods of time where God's purposely making you wait or putting things on hiatus, which it sounds like a hiatus to us, and it's just God's plan being unfolded. And there's just not a lot going on. And that's okay. There are times of waiting in your life. Uh, There's times of waiting in Scripture. We see that through the intertestamental period that we're going to talk about, 400 years where God didn't speak. And uh, for us just to understand that, man, that's just part of it. And part of being a person of the promise and the people of the promise is saying that's just part of how God works out his plan and he's not slow to fulfill his promise. He's patient. Well, Isaac was pretty uneventful, but his two sons were quite the opposite. So this led to point number three, trust God's promises in the dysfunction. And we t- you broke down um, Jacob's life of 
dysfunction, even though you can talk a whole like sermon series on mm. the dysfunction of Jacob. Can we ever? So um, with that, Pastor Hayden, what do you want to make sure that we remember as we walk away f- from point number three? From a very practical standpoint, just for your own life, whether you come from a dysfunctional family or, or since dysfunctional situation or whatever it is, it's like you have got to work out in your life not to resent the times in your life that reflect dysfunction and understand that you need to trust God's promises in the dysfunction. And you may have created the dysfunction. Uh, but if you are a Christian, if you turn from your sins, you place your trust in Jesus Christ, you are a person of the promise, and God's promises work even through dysfunction. And, and I, I wouldn't even just say in spite of dysfunction. It's not like, oh, dysfunction happened, and then God did something. It's like God was enacting his promises through dysfunction. And so it's important for you to think like Joseph. Genesis 50, verse 20, As for you, brothers, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. You meant evil against me in the way that you sold me into slavery, but God meant you selling me into slavery for good. Like, it's not like, oh, somehow God redeemed it. And it's like, no, that God used that exact situation that the brothers put them in to, for good to bring about that many people should be kept alive as they are today or during that time. And so as a reality compass, we need to make sure that when we have periods of time through dysfunction, that we're going to be tempted to sin, sometimes to give up, to give in, or mm-hmm. to fight back, not according to God's word. And to remember, for the Christian, we have this wonderful text from Paul in 1 Corinthians ten thirteen that no matter what situation, dysfunction that we're in, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure. And for Jacob, he had to endure seven years for a wife he didn't want in the first place. He had to endure another seven years for the wife he wanted and then endure his uncle. But eventually in Genesis 35, when God renames him to Israel, that's where Jacob let go, removes all of the idols in his life and his family says, we're going to focus only on God. So through that dysfunction, he was able to focus on God. And that's a really good point. A lot of times when you get into dysfunction and things get out of control, like you just say, well, why does it matter? I'm just going to live the way I want to live because nothing's working out anyway. And it's like, that is exactly what Jacob should show you is that it's not worth it. Like you shouldn't live that way because God's plan is still that you would live in righteousness and you would follow him even in the midst of dysfunction going on around you. And if you are part of the dysfunction, repent from it, turn from it, and understand that God's going to use it to do great things. Uh, but your goal and your expectation is to, is to walk in step with the Spirit. So don't don't lose heart, right? Don't, don't lose patience. Continue walking even in the midst of the dysfunction because God means it for good. Well, Compass, sometimes we live in life that is full of dysfunction, or sometimes we notice we don't know what God is doing because mm. it seems obscure. And this leads to point number four. Believe God's promises in the obscurity. And that's talking about how we see Judah's uh, rise through the story of Joseph. And so what do we need to walk away from, from point number four with the obscurity maybe of God's plan maybe in our purview? Yeah, as you're looking at verses 37 through 50, it's almost almost all about Joseph. And he's somehow he's a key player in it. But then you see two spots where Judah comes out uh, very obviously that you're having that you're having to do something with him. And you're having to figure out why is he popping up in here so 
uh, vividly or so big. And uh, you actually have some insight onto this about how Judah, uh, even though in verse 38, not so great things happening, but throughout his life, he even has that turning point that God turns him uh, from being, you know, as terrible, terrible, <laughs> terrible to being uh uh, I don't know, fulfillment, I guess, of God's promise. Yeah, in Genesis 37, uh, that's where Jude, uh, the brothers sell Joseph. But if you look very carefully, Reuben has a plan. He's the firstborn, and he gets a curse from Makes his father. Makes a mean sandwich. Yeah, a mean sandwich. But Reuben <laughs> gets a curse from his father because he slept with one of his concubines. Mm. And so the firstborn, who should have had the kingly line, is trying to earn it back. So Reuben's like, no, no, follow my plan. All the brothers reject him. But Judah speaks in verses 26 and 27 and says, hey, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites and then lie to our father. What do the brothers do? They all listen to him. Clearly, Judah's the leader, but he's a terrible leader. Chapter 38 reveals how really terrible he is. He sleeps with his daughter, uh, daughter-in-law after her husband dies and thinking it was a prostitute. It's a terrible situation. Yeah. But then he realizes how much more righteous she was compared to him. Well, then he changes in Genesis 44, where Joseph is now in Egypt. He's in second command. He sees his brothers. They don't recognize him. So he tests them to see, have they changed? And there's actually some really cool details. I You can ask me later, pull me aside, and I'll share it with you. But the detail you need to pay attention is in between eight verses 18 to 34 of Genesis chapter 44. Joseph's test was whoever had the cup in their bag, that person was going to die. And who had the cup? Benjamin, because Joseph planted it there. And Reuben offers to say, hey, uh, you know, father, if Benjamin doesn't come back, take up my whole family. And Benjamin was the, the youngest son mm-hmm. who uh, their father didn't want him to go. He yes. actually kept him back, and Joseph wanted to take him. And now they're like, if he dies, uh, Isaac in his life is like, I'm going to die. And so... Uh, the it's, pressure's it's, on. The pressure's on because now he's the one who's about to die because he's got the cup and everyone's like, oh no, our dad's going to kill us. And then instead of you know throwing their brother into the well, they're defending the brother, showing that they have changed. But Judah, pay attention close to like verses 30 and 34. Judah offers his life. Mm, he says, substitutionary I will atonement. Take, you know, let my brother live and I will take his place to die. And that's where Joseph breaks down. And cries. It says, this is me. And so here in, in chapter, uh, chapter 49, verse 10, where the promised king is uh, promised through Judah, it's because here's the royal line, a, 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 not only a king, but a sacrificial king mm-hmm. that Jesus is, is the ultimate king, and he's the sacrificial king who took our place and the death that you and I deserved. So good. Thank you for letting me share. There it is. I was bottling it no, up. I know. I know you love it. I know. It's really great. But is there anything that we need to walk away from, Pastor Hayden, from point number four? As we like our minds explode with all the narrative, that's great, but so what? Yeah, and believe God's promise in the obscurity. Again, it's like just because you don't see God working doesn't mean that you should go and try to be working on your own outside of the promises of God. Doesn't mean you shouldn't be diligent, doesn't mean that you shouldn't be a hard worker, but it's like saying you can't say that God's not working just because you don't see him working because he is. And although to you, it may be obscure in God's timing, he's going to make those things clear. He's going to reveal them, make them obvious. And he does that all throughout scripture. Uh, And through uh, uh, the scepter, not departing from Judah through the line of Judah, obviously you learned in the service, the revelation five, that fulfillment of the line of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, he has conquered. And so he's able to open the scrolls and the seven seals. And he's basically enacting the kingdom of God being uh, brought into its fulfillment. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, for us, just 
realize that God's working even when things don't seem obvious. But the one thing I wanted to go back to was the uh, crushing the head of the serpent that we talked about earlier. Because this is important. Because everything goes back to this in the Bible. Everything's mm-hmm. connected. Right. Matthew's not on an island. He's connecting us to something. Right. And just to show you, we already talked about it in Genesis 3, but we talked about it. You see it all throughout Scripture, and that's a promise that even the, the patriarchs and even the writers of the New Testament, including the Apostle Paul, looks back to as he is as he is showing that Jesus is the fulfillment of uh, the serpent's head being crushed. And he even quotes it in Romans 16, 19 through 20. What? I know. Isn't that crazy? It says, For your obedience is known to all, talking to the church in Rome, that I rejoice over you, but I want you to be wise as to what is good and innocent as to what is evil. And he says this in verse 20, The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. He literally quotes Genesis 3, 14 and 15, that this has always been the plan, that Satan would be crushed under your feet by the by the seed of the woman that is Christ Jesus. And so it's not just something you see once, it shows back up because that's the theme of Scripture and you see it fulfilled all well, in the Gospels at the resurrection of Christ. Although his heel was bruised because he, he died and he was crucified, he rose and crushed Satan under his feet. And we see that fulfilled in the consummation of that in the Revelation when he gets cast down into the pit. All right. Well, Pastor Hayden, we have a lot of fun Bible facts for our next family gathering to share to our mm. fun uncles and aunts who may not believe in Jesus. But we have life groups this week and you have application questions for us. And we don't want commentators. We want applicators. You, applicators. And so how can we apply the questions for our life group this week? What I have tried to do is uh, I know a lot of what we learned was technical, was just was factual information to help us build a foundation. But in the application questions, I've tried to really hard to allow us questions that bring it to bear in my life today. Like, what does a good understanding of God's longstanding track record of promise-keeping throughout history do to bolster your faith in Him now? And so it's bringing it back to right now in your life. Uh, that's question number two. Question number three is, uh, what can you do this week to allow faith to produce patience in your life as we see what a lack of patience did, especially in the life of uh, God's promise to Abraham through Isaac and Ishmael? Again, it's back to your life. What are you going to do this week uh, when it comes to having faith that produces patience? And over and over again, each question is just meant for you to apply it right now. It's take God's word and let's see, what am I going to do with it today? Not next year, not next week today. And so if you can be an applicator and not just a commentator, you're going to be able to take God's word and, and walk in it this week. And to help us to become applicators, we need to understand the context. So what resources uh, do we have for our people that they can uh, either purchase in the bookstore or online to help them understand so they can be applicators. Yeah, we have one at the bookstore that's been selling well, Matthew, an introduction and commentary. It's the TNTC, the Tyndale New Testament commentary, and it's by R.T. France. Uh, We don't condone every single view that it teaches, but it's a good volume to give you an overview of what the gospel of Matthew is talking about. We have that for sale. Uh, Another medium-sized volume that's not too robust is The Essence of the Old Testament by Ed Henson and Gary Yates. They're the editors. Uh, and it's just a good Old Testament overview. And since we're going through the Old Testament, it might be good for you to have a resource where you can actually see what's going on in the Old Testament as Matthew is connecting Jesus to the Old Testament. And it's good to have because Matthew's going to be referring to the Old Testament a the lot. entire a book lot. Yep. of Matthew. 
That's right. All right. Well, we have a DBR spotlight. Yes. And we are in a new book. We are in a new book, Compass Bible Church. We are in the writings of the Old Testament in the book of Proverbs. And I want to give you an overview of just what that, how to approach Proverbs as we're diving into the four, first 14 chapters of Proverbs. Uh, first off, the proverb, in, the word in Hebrew, the Hebrew title is Mishle, which I have no idea if that's right, but we'll move on. But the meaning is, here's funny, you ready for it? Parables. Mm. Does that sound a little familiar? So when Jesus is sharing parables, he's sharing wisdom. See how Jesus is doing that? It's pretty dope. All right. The, <laughs> the background of Proverbs is most of the Proverbs is written by Solomon, but not all of the Proverbs are written by Solomon, but vast majority. Chapters 1 to 29 are written by Solomon, but the last two Proverbs, Proverbs 30 and 31, are written by two different men, which we'll approach when we get to that week in DBR. But here's a couple um, things to think about constantly when you're reading the book of Proverbs. Uh, one is that Solomon is actually enacting a command. He's doing what the Bible's telling him to do. In Genesis chapter 6, it says, You shall teach them diligently to your children the law, the law of Moses, and shall talk of them when you sit down in your house, when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. And so if you notice in the first at least seven Proverbs, Solomon's saying, Son, listen to my words. Son, don't uh, oh, disregard your mom. Son, listen. Solomon's teaching his son to follow the wisdom of God. And this is after in, in, in uh, 2 Samuel where he asked for, um, not 2 Samuel, 1 Kings. In 1 Kings, Solomon asked for wisdom. And actually what he asked for in the raw Hebrew is a listening heart, a listening heart towards God and his word, because that is wisdom, is a listening heart towards God and his word to obey it and follow it. So the purpose of the original purpose of Proverbs is to show how wisdom is lived out in the Mosaic law. And so how, how is it played out in all these laws in practical sense? What Pastor Hayden and I are doing, we are preaching God's word. We're giving you the truths of God word, God's word and how to be applicators of it. And that is what Psalm is doing. See, this is how you become an applicator of the Mosaic law specifically. But here's something to think about. As you read it, I need you to go through this four-step process is to think through, I need to, I need to follow wisdom. I'm supposed to follow the wisdom given here. But here's the second thing you need to know. You can't follow wisdom by yourself. Jesus is the wisdom lived out. And we're actually going to see that played out through the gospel of Matthew. Jesus is wisdom lived out and played out perfectly. But we're still called to follow wisdom. So the fourth step is only through Jesus can we live out God's wisdom only with the new heart that is listening, that has been changed by God, our hard heart turned into flesh through us repenting and trusting in the saving work of Jesus Christ alone to save us in his life, death, and resurrection. That is the only way that you and I can actually apply Proverbs. I mean, a lot of businesses will say, hey, read the book of Proverbs, it'll be helpful. You can apply Proverbs to a point. But in order to live out the wisdom of Proverbs, you need to make sure yourself, you need to make sure that you have God in you. And this is why the baptism services announcement shout out are going to be so helpful for people to declare what God has done in their lives. And now they can live out the Proverbs because God is in them. 
And so a proverb highlight uh, for me, there's two this week for DBR. It's Proverbs 1, 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. And so the beginning of wisdom is fearing the Lord and understanding who he is. And fools despise wisdom and instruction. So if you're having a hard time obeying God and say, I don't like these, these rules, what he has for me, maybe it's a good heart check to see, do I really have God in me? And one that I want to shout out is Proverbs chapter 3. It's a great one. I, I love li- uh, reading it every single year. But it's, uh, verses 5 through 8 are my favorite that you need to have in your mind and in your heart. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't try to make plans and try to force God to make your plans happen, just like we learned in the sermon. And do not lean on your own understanding. In all of your ways, acknowledge him. And he will make your paths straight. Your kids will know how to sing that song. Oh, yeah, they do. And they know how to dance. (laughs) Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. And here's the why. Verse 8. Don't miss verse 8. Why? It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Just think about all the patriarchs that Pastor Hayden just preached through. When they finally followed God's instructions, how good was it for them? And how sweet was it for them? But then when they try to do it on their own, how hard was it for them? So make sure, one, you have God in you, and two, that you have a listening heart towards his wisdom. All right, Pastor Hayden, that ends and concludes our DBR spotlight. But what announcements do we have for Compass Bible Church in the Hill Country of Texas? All right, we have baptism September the 18th at the 9 and 11 a.m. services. We want you to register. So People are registering. They are. We need more. Uh, If you want to register for that, you can do that online on your uh, little bulletin that you had or at the connect table. And what kind of people? You mentioned in the uh, this first announcement, <laughs> yeah, first service the kinds of people who need to get baptized. One, if you have just come to faith in Christ, if you have turned away from your sins, trusting in Christ recently, uh, if you have denied yourself, taken up your cross, followed him, all those things. Like if that's what it, that's what it means to be a Christian. If you've done those things, you need to get baptized. Right? You don't need to wait. You don't need to uh, put a lot of space in between that because the the really the, the chronology between uh, repentance and faith and baptism is super short in, in the New Testament. And we understand that it's the believer's first obedience that you do that to follow through in obedience to Christ. So that's the first. The second uh, is the person. Uh, who, uh, how did I say, how did I say this in the 11 and 9 o'clock? I know the other one was... You if, put it off. Yeah, well, yeah, if you put it off, right? If you've been saved and you just never got baptized, this is for you. Like, you need to get baptized. You can't put off the believer's first obedience. Uh, it's time for you to register for baptisms. And then the last one was when you get baptism out of order and you may have thought you were saved when you were younger, your parents may have baptized you or got you baptized and you were never saved. Uh, believers' baptism is for believers, and so you need to make sure that baptism happens after you have uh, have been uh, redeemed, after Christ has saved you. And so those three people, who baptisms are for? And so we'd love for you to register. We'd love to meet with you, coach you through that, give you some resources to help you in your walk with Christ. We also have our Compass Midweeks. We have a brand new life group launching this Wednesday night. So if you're interested in joining a life group and have not yet, please let us know. Email us, Hayden at CompassHillCountry.org or Evan at CompassHillCountry.org. Let us know you want to join a life group. We'll get you in one on Wednesday night if that works. And we also have our Compass students and Compass kids that meet on Wednesday nights as well, all here on campus at the same time. And we also have a men's breakfast on September 9th at 9 a.m. And we're going to talk about loving God wholeheartedly. Pastor Evan will be bringing that message to us as we fellowship over breakfast, worship, and a teaching. 
And finally, we have our student parent night, September 18th from 6 to 8 p.m. Dinner is provided. Registration is not necessary, but we'd love for you to come get to know your students' leaders, get to know the schedule of what's happening uh, as we move forward in ministering and discipling to your students from the 6th through 12th grade. All right, church, we're so grateful for you. We're so grateful that you listened to the Compass Equip podcast this week. Share it with somebody that you know needs some uh, some extra content throughout the week. Let people in the church know that this is going on, and, and let's, uh, as we wait till we gather together, let's have confidence in God's plan, whether it's in the waiting, in the uh, ambiguity, or if it's in us taking a step aside and saying, let's just trust and stand in the promises of God. Compass Move, see you soon.